If you're a guest today, my name is Ricky. I'm the lead pastor here at Fort Carolina, and we are so happy that you are with us. Our mission here is just to help you reach higher for the best life God has for you. And uh, so we're, we're humbled that you would spend a little time this morning with us. At the end of our service, I'll make my way to the back, and I would love to meet you and personally thank you for being here and just answer any questions you might have or uh, just put a name with a face. And so thank you for being with us. And we started this series last Sunday, and we're going to finish up today. And it's a series called This Is My Story, and it's my life's verse, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And today I want to talk to you about a message I'm calling, Not I, But Christ. Not I, But Christ. You know, often I get to travel, and I get to spend some time preaching in other churches or doing mission work. And often, if I'm lucky, I get to spend some time with friends that I have in other places, and often they will say, instead of putting you up in a hotel, we're going to let you stay in our home. And that's always nice to get to fellowship with people in the context of their home. I stayed with one friend uh, earlier this year in England, and he said as he greeted me at the door and welcomed me into his home, I want you to make yourself at home. My home is your home. And I was really grateful for that, and it was just a fabulous week, and he was truly hospitable. However, I knew instinctively there were limits to that phrase, my home is your home. I knew he would not be happy if he came home one afternoon to find me soaking in the tub in a bubble bath in his master bedroom. Probably not what he had in mind when he said I could make myself at home. In fact, in England, there is actually an old castle that is open to the public. And as you walk up to the entrance, there is a sign that reads, it is the duty of the host to make guests feel at home. It is the duty of guests to remember they are not. (laughs) And so I think sometimes as guests, we need to remember that while we are made to feel at home, we're not really home. Now, let me ask you a question about Jesus in your life. Does Jesus feel at home in your life? There's this mystery that the Scriptures teach that when you place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that He takes up His residence in your life, in your heart, in your home. Your your life becomes His home. Does He feel at home in your life? Now, maybe you're new to the Christian faith. You're checking this Christianity thing out, and it just kind of sounds weird to you for Christians to say that Jesus lives in our hearts. But we believe that is true because that's what the scriptures teach. And by the way, it may sound weird to you. It sounds weird to us as well. But we have placed our faith in a man who predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection. And three days later pulled it off. And if he can overcome the grave and walk out alive, we believe he can do anything else that he says he can do. And one of the promises that he made to all who would trust him as Lord and Savior is that he would not only be with us, he would be in us. So he's in your life. Does he feel at home in your life? You see, it is the duty of every Christian to make Jesus feel at home in our lives. But the difference is we don't make him feel at home as an honored guest because he is actually the owner He's the one who purchased us at the price of his own blood on the cross of Calvary. We are no longer our own. We have been bought at a price, the very life of Jesus. 
So I don't want to treat Jesus in my life like a guest. I don't want to even treat him like an honored guest. I want to give him the keys of my life and say there is not a room in my life there is not a room in my heart. There is not an area of my life where you are not in control, where you are not welcome. We talk about the lordship of Christ, that Jesus is not only our savior, having died for us and forgiven us of our sin, he's also the lord of our lives, which means he's the boss of our lives. And he is either lord of all or he's not lord at all. You can't say, Jesus, you're Lord, but you don't have any part of this part of my life. You don't have any say-so over this area of my life. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And we want to make him Lord of all aspects of our lives. Now, I know that as Christians, we struggle with that at times. There are rooms in my heart that I don't want to give Jesus the key to. Jesus, you can have my Sunday mornings, and I'm so grateful for your grace that forgives me of my sin. I'm so glad to know that heaven is my home one day, and I want to be polite to people in traffic, but here are some areas you need to stay out of my life. We don't want Jesus messing up some habits that we like. We don't want Jesus messing with some prejudices that we have held against other people. We don't want Jesus touching on those areas where we have not forgiven people for how they've hurt us. We don't want Jesus in our sex lives telling us what's right or what's wrong. We don't want Jesus impacting our political views or persuasions. We kind of keep Jesus relegated to the Sunday morning. But he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He deserves to be Lord of every aspect of our lives. He, he bought us at a price and he needs to not just be welcomed as a guest in our lives. He needs to be welcomed and at home as the one who owns us, to whom we owe everything to. In fact, there are many people in our world today who have turned away from church, Christianity, not because they're no longer spiritual people or not because they're atheists, not because they don't believe in God and not even because they don't have a respect for Jesus. Many people have turned away from Christianity because they've met Christians outside of Sunday morning. And they did not see a connection between the belief of Christians and the behavior of Christians. People in our world instinctively know that if we're going to name Christ as our Lord and our Savior, then it ought to impact how we live our lives. And sometimes they see the hypocrisy in us. Now, the world is wrong if the world expects Christians to be perfect. Christians are not sinless. Nowhere are we taught that we're going to be sinless this side of heaven. Hopefully, we're sinning less the longer we know Jesus, but we're still going to struggle. But I think most people, even if they're not Christians, turn away because they see us not truly letting Jesus be at home in every aspect of our lives. They see us one way on Sunday and another way on Monday. And so one of the things that has truly helped me in my Christian life to stay focused on the motivation for living for Jesus, to stay focused on the fact that I don't have the power to do this. I mean, left up to myself, I'm going to be in trouble, but there is a power available to me to live the Christian life. And a verse of scripture that has helped me Think more practically about what does it mean to live for Christ and to let Christ have his way in my life is the verse that we've been looking at these last two Sundays. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. 
I memorized it in the King James or the New King James Version many years ago. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, maybe uh, you'll see on the screen in the English Standard Version, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Last week, we discussed that first part of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul, writing this letter to Christians in the city of Galatia, says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Paul is referring to the fact that when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he was dying as Paul's substitute. Paul was the sinner. Christ was the substitute for sinners. And not only did Jesus die for Paul, he died for all. He died for me. He died for you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So Paul recognized That the moment he placed his faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, what Jesus did on that cross became real and effective for Paul. Paul says, Christ didn't just take my sin to the cross and pay the penalty. He took me to the cross. And he died my death. And he gave me credit for his righteous life. So I've died with Christ That old person, that old man, that old Paul who was trying to earn his way to heaven through religion has died. And that old person who had the condemnation of the law against him because one sin and you're condemned, that person too has died because Christ paid that price. Christ took that condemnation. And so Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ I no longer live. The old one trying to work my way to heaven through religion and good deeds, that person is dead. The person condemned by my sin, that person is dead in Christ. But then he says, but it is Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He's saying something profound here. That through the person of the Holy Spirit, Christ lives in Paul. Christ lives in you if you've placed your faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. That Christ, in a mystical sense, has taken up his residence in your life. He lives in you. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. That what does it look like that Christ lives in me? Well, notice he says, but it is Christ who lives in me. He's saying something profound. First of all, he's saying Christ personally lives in me. Christ lives in me. Now think about that for a moment. This is your story as well. Christ lives in me. Christ personally lives in me. That's an amazing statement when you think about it. That none of us saw Christ with our fleshly eyes None of us handled him with our hands. None of us walked with him along the dusty streets of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. But there is a real sense in which Christ lives in you, even now, the moment you've placed your faith in him. 
Later, Paul will put it this way in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, And because we are God's children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. It's an intimate name that we can refer to God, that He is Daddy, He is my Heavenly Father. What gives us the privilege and the ability of having a personal relationship with God the Father? It's our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Paul says, because you're a child of God now, the Spirit of the Son of God, Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus lives in you, personally in you. I love this fact. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for His people. Remember? A tabernacle and then a permanent structure, the temple. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for His people. But in the New Testament, through Jesus, God has a people for His temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whenever the last person is here today and turns off the lights and sets the alarm and locks the door, God doesn't hang out here until we come back next Sunday. This is not the temple of God. This is a building where Christians gather for worship and for fellowship and for Bible study and for evangelism and for prayer. But this is not a temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wherever you are, there Jesus is. He is with you personally. And listen, not only does Christ personally live in you, but Christ permanently lives in you. Because he says, it is Christ who lives in me. This is the present tense. This is ongoing. This is something that will not end. Christ lives in you the moment you trust him as your Lord and Savior. He becomes a part of your life and he will never leave you. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, he promises to never leave you nor forsake you. Your heart is not a hotel for Jesus. It is a home for Jesus. He doesn't check in and then check out. He stays with you no matter what. And think about how good this is. In fact, I think there's probably someone here this morning who the only reason God brought you to this place is so you can hear what I'm about to say. Because Christ lives in you, there is never a day that you will face alone. There will never be a dilemma that you face alone. There will never be a decision that you face alone. There will never be a disruption in your life that you have to face alone. There will never even be a death, yours or anyone else's, that you have to face alone because Christ Christ lives in you permanently. He's not going anywhere. Whatever you face, he faces with you and through you. Everyone else may abandon you. Everyone else may fail you. Everyone else may forsake you. But you can say, this is my story. Christ lives in me. You say, Bricky, I don't always feel his presence. Well, that's because some days you have to just live by faith. Not by feelings. But the good news is we don't get to just go and be with Jesus in the sweet by and by. Jesus is with us in the nasty here and now. He lives in you permanently. And you say, but what about when I mess up? What about if I sin? What if I don't always live for him? What if I don't always glorify him? Does he leave me? Do I lose my salvation? No, Christ lives in you. 
He's not going anywhere. It's like I tell my wife, sweetie, if you leave me, I'm going with you. <laughs> and there are people in this room who could give a testimony of how that they strayed from God. How that they didn't always live for Him. But He wooed them back and drew them back into His fellowship. And then they could look back and realize, even in those wilderness wanderings, He was always there. Never left them. He was always there. Christ personally lives in me. Christ permanently lives in me. And Christ powerfully lives in me. He says, but Christ who lives in me. Christ powerfully lives in me. This is the same Christ who walked out of a grave alive. Who walked into your heart and will never leave you. And if he can overcome death, hell, and the grave, what problem are you going to face with him that he can't handle? He is powerfully at work in your life. And the power that Jesus brings into your life is not so that you can then go and do whatever you want to do and live any old way you want to live. The power he brings into your life is not just so you can go get rich or never be sick. I know you hear that on Christian television, and I question it's bad Christianity and bad television 99% of the time. Can I tell you why Christ comes into your life to give you power? It's so that you can live the life he wants you to live. Endure the struggles he knows you're going to endure. Face the challenges he knows you're going to face. And live a life that reflects Him. Here's how the Apostle Peter put it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter writes, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says, Everything you need to live a life that is pleasing to God has been provided to you because Christ lives in you. Whenever I don't live the godly life that I'm supposed to live as a husband or a father, as a pastor or a neighbor, I can't blame God. I can't shake my fist in God's face and say, it's your fault, God. No, God's given me everything I need to live a life for godliness. I don't often plug into the power. I don't often yield my life to Christ's life. I don't often take advantage of the power that he's made available to live that life. And when I fail to take advantage of the power of Christ in me, then I have no one to blame but myself. And that's one of the things that the enemy of your soul doesn't want you to know. He wants you to live a defeated life. He wants you to live by the labels that other people have placed on you or you have placed on yourself. He wants you to feel like a nobody. But you are a child of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ loves you enough to come into your life and He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And He wants to work in you from the inside out to make you more like Jesus. To make you more like Himself. We've got a couple having their 50th wedding anniversary. They're going to celebrate later. Bill and Elaine Fraser, uh, your mom and dad. So excited for them. In 50 years, wow. That is an achievement. 
That is awesome. And I guarantee you, if you live together that long, you start thinking alike. You start finishing each other's sentences. You may even start dressing alike. You know, you've been around so long. You like the same kind of food. Because after spending that much time together, you start rubbing off on each other. And I can tell you this, the longer we live with Jesus and he lives in us, the more we yield our lives to him, the more we become like him. That's his purpose in your life. In fact, that's the next thing I want you to see. Christ personally lives in me, permanently lives in me, powerfully lives in me. But Christ also purposefully lives in me. Because Christ didn't just move into your home to be dormant. He didn't move into the heart of your home to be dormant. He moved in to be dominant. He didn't move in to be a piece of furniture. He moved in to be the Lord of the manor. To be the Lord of the home. To guide you, to direct you. And that's why... Paul could say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the purpose for which Christ lives in me and lives in you. It is so that while we now keep living this life in the flesh... Living day by day, struggle after struggle, one foot in front of the other, taking the good with the bad of this life, that as we live the life in this flesh, we don't live it on our own. We live it with Christ in us, and we live it by faith in Him, by putting our trust in Him. The word faith means to put your confidence in Him. And Jesus is worthy of your confidence. He's worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your faith. Saying, Jesus, my whole life is yours. I give it to you. I entrust it to you. And I know I'll never regret dedicating my life to you and yielding my life to you because you're trustworthy. He is, after all, the Son of God. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. The resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When my daughter Casey was young, we would play that little bedtime game, you know, I love you, I love you more. She would say, I love you more. And then I would say, well, I love you this much. And she would say, I love you this much. Well, I love you this much. And before we ended, our arms would be stretched as far as they could go. But I love you this much. And then we would hug. And I would kiss her goodnight. And can I tell you, over 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I will not only declare my love, I will demonstrate my love for you. How much do I love you? I love you this much. And he bled and he died Nailed to a cross. He gave himself for you. He gave his life for you. He leveraged his life for your life. No one has ever loved you like that. No one ever will love you like that. And he is a trustworthy savior. I've yet to meet a person who ever said, I regret trusting Jesus. Jesus. 
I regret putting my faith in Him. I regret yielding my life to His life. I regret yielding my way to His way. No one. But I have met too many people to count who said, I regret doing life my way and not living for Jesus. I guarantee you, all of your regrets are because you were humming the tune, I did it my way. But when you do it Jesus' way, you find real life. And that's the purpose for which he came into your life. is so that you would trust him by faith to be your Lord and your Savior and to make you more like himself. So here's the bottom line today. People sometimes say, Ricky, how do I live the Christian life? Well, this isn't exhaustive, but I think it's certainly suggestive to get you on the right track. The way to live the Christian life is to let Christ have his way in your life. It's really that simple. The way to live the Christian life is to let Christ have his way in your life. What area of your life do you need to say, not I, but Christ? What area of your life do you need to yield your way to his way? Could be your finances. You've been doing it your way. It's time to go his way. Put Christ first in your life. Could be in the way you treat your spouse. You need to say, not my way, but Christ's way. I need to live for Christ in this relationship. Could be in your friendships. It could be in ending some friendships that are not making you more like Christ. They're pulling you away from Christ. Maybe you need to say, I need to yield my politics to Jesus. It is easy to look at other people as means to an end and just faces on a TV screen and just talking points and arguing points. When you know what I need to do? I just need to go out and love people. Maybe for you it's forgiving someone like Christ has forgiven you. You probably saw two weeks ago on the news how that a white police officer named Amber was convicted and sentenced to 10 years in jail because she murdered her neighbor whom she thought was an intruder. And while outside the courthouse there were people who were protesting such a lenient sentence of 10 years, something dramatic was happening on the inside of the courtroom when the murdered man's brother spoke during the impact statement. And everyone wanted to know what would he say to his brother's killer. Watch this real brief video clip and notice what he did. I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because 
I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please. Yes. Gene would later say in interviews that the reason he did that was because that's what Christ has done for him. That as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, he had to forgive. Brandt recognized that it was Jesus, after all, who looked at each one of us and said, I don't want you to go to hell. I know you've done wrong, but I want the best for you. And if you'll turn to me, you can be forgiven. And Brandt says, because that's what Christ did for me, I had to do it for Amber to offer that kind of forgiveness. Friend, I don't know how you will answer the question, what area of my life do I need to start saying, not I, but Christ? It could be this, it could be forgiveness, or it could be something else. But for all of us, Christ must be at home in our lives. Not as an honored guest, but as the one who bought us with his own blood on the cross. And so today, whenever you leave this room, you need to remember he's got an awesome plan for your life. He wants the best for your life. And the greatest way to live the Christian life is to let Christ have his way in your life. We sometimes sing that hymn, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold over my being absolute sway, filled with your spirit till everyone sees Christ only always living in me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, each one of us who name Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, have been humbled by this reminder from the Apostle Paul that his story is our story. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God, we thank you for this kind of love, this transforming power available to each one of us. And we pray that today you would find us rededicated in yielding ourselves to you, taking up our cross, denying ourselves, and letting Christ live his life through us. Father, you know the transforming power that will be at work in our lives, in our relationships, in our church, 
in our community, in this world. And God, this world is desperate for people who look and act and talk and love more like Jesus than ever before. And none of us can take responsibility for anyone else. But today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we can say, Dear Lord Jesus, I say to you, not I, but Christ. I make it my commitment today that through your strength, I want to live for Christ and show the world a little glimpse of Jesus. Father, there could be someone in this room who's never received him as their Lord and Savior. I pray that today they would begin by just confessing their sin to you, confessing their faith that Jesus, who died for them on a cross, who rose from the dead on the third day, and who is ready to forgive them of their sin when they put their trust in him. God, I thank you. It's not about church membership. It's not about being Baptist or Catholic or any other religion. It is about trusting in Christ, the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. And I pray that today, a husband or a wife, a mom or a dad, a grandparent or a single adult or one of these young people today for the first time in their life will say, I am putting my confidence in Jesus and Jesus alone to be my Lord and my Savior. God will rejoice in what you do in their life as well. Have your will, God, in our church and in our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.